Hey there, you're listening to Onward Stories. I'm your hostess, Cupcake, Anne Shrake. Thanks for joining me today. This podcast has helped me feel better and more deeply after the loss of my baby, and I hope it does the same for you. I invite you to join my upcoming online writing workshop for people who have lost a baby. You can start your story at onwardstories.com. Now here's a little bit about this episode. My guest, Erica M. McAfee, is a bereavement doula who helps educate families on what to expect after losing a baby via her Sisters in Loss podcast. I discovered Erica's podcast and I'm a fan. You can also find the podcast on iTunes and subscribe, just like you have with the Onward Stories podcast, right? Erica is an advocate for Black women and women of color, both in the hospital room and in the larger national conversation of equality in maternal health care. It was an honor to hear her journey to motherhood and how it has transformed her path in life. My favorite part of this episode is hearing about how Erica has wrestled with surrendering to God's plan. I know you're going to love hearing Erica's takes on loss, family, and faith. You can learn more about Erica's podcast and her services as a bereavement doula at ericamcafee.com. That's E-R-I-C-A-M-M-C-A-F-E-E dot com. Her social media handles are Erica M. McAfee and Sisters in Loss. Let's start this Onward Story. Hello, Erica. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. Absolutely. I read, I read um, a little bit about your family and everything on your uh, website, and I was wondering if you could tell the listeners about who makes up your family. Yes, absolutely. So, um, of course, me, um, my husband, Brandon, and our miracle baby, Maxwell, who we affectionately call Super Mighty Max. I love that. (laughs) And tell me about, uh, well, people who are listening to this will know that you host a podcast for women who have experienced uh, loss called Sisters in Loss. So I should say it's specifically geared toward black women who have experienced loss. And I, I believe that came out of your own personal experiences with losses. And I was wondering if you could share what you feel comfortable sharing about that here. Yes, absolutely. Um, Sisters in Loss was birthed from um, me just wanting to hear more stories of women who are battling infertility. And of course, since I've experienced, um, uh, you know, infant loss at birth and then a second trimester miscarriage that I wanted to be able to share all of those stories and really what that journey to motherhood may look like Mm -hmm. and what healing truly looks like and how each and every one of us, as we go through, you know, life and have, you know, um, painful moments where people around us may pass away. And then for those of us who do lose children are really just struggling to get pregnant, stay pregnant and bring a healthy baby home that we have a place to, to talk about it mm-hmm. in an open forum and it's a safe community. So um, a little bit about my story, you mm-hmm. know, I lost my first son at 39 weeks, five days um, after um, some 
complications with preeclampsia and having high blood pressure. I ended mm. up having a C-section and he was born, but he, he was born and he was just not breathing. He didn't cry when he came out and the doctors worked on him for about 41 minutes before they pronounced him dead. Oh, and wow. as we went through that whole grieving process, because we went to the hospital, you know, with our bag, with the baby outfits, you know, had the baby yeah. shower. Yeah. Had the car seat in the car, ready to take this baby home, but we didn't. And, you know, we were the only people around us who have actually experienced something like that. So no one really knew what to do. Like, you know, do you actually have a funeral? Do you not have a funeral? What do you mm-hmm. do with the remains? Do you, you know, what do you do with the baby room that we set up at the house? You know, mm-hmm. how do we navigate that journey? So, um, my husband and I um, definitely got into therapy after we had our first loss and just really tried to figure out exactly what grieving looked like and really what, what family looked like. Because at that point in time, you know, we didn't have a child, so it was just us. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we had to get uh, wrapped around our mind, you know, what does, you know, family look like even if we don't have children, you know? Um, so once we got to a place where we're ready to try again, we tried again and we got pregnant again, this time with the baby girl. Um, my son's name was Brandon Jr. He was a junior firm. My husband's name is Brandon. And then mm-hmm. we got pregnant with the baby girl and we had her um, at 18 weeks due to an incompetent cervix, meaning mm-hmm. my cervix came open early um, during the weight of the baby as it grew during the second tri- trimester. And the reason why I call it a miscarriage is because um, under 20 weeks, it's considered a miscarriage. Um, anything a- above 20 weeks, they may call it a stillbirth or um, just an infant lost at um, above 20 weeks. And that's kind of the technical terms. But mm-hmm. either way, a loss is a loss. It doesn't really matter when right. in pregnancy uh, or gestation. But um, we lost her, you know, shortly after, you know, maybe eight months after we lost our son. So oh my we were, we were grieving. We were, we were in a, in a state of grief and disbelief and just not, tr- not understanding why God would take us on this journey, um, really up until we got pregnant with our son. So we ended up switching therapists. We both ended up going to therapy individually as well. Mm-hmm. And just really got really into God's word and really tried to understand exactly, not necessarily why this happened, but really why not us, you know, why not, why wouldn't God put us in this position so that we mm. could show others around us that we are stronger together. We're not fighting together. We're not breaking up. Cause a lot of couples um, who've gone through such a traumatic loss of children, they typically, the numbers are staggering. They're like mm-hmm. 80% of couples end up in divorce. Right. And we didn't want to be that statistic. So we really had to grow closer together. And then once we got to a place where we were trying again, we got pregnant with my son, who God has blessed me to keep here on earth. Um, and he's my miracle child. Um, he was born due to a placenta abruption at 32 weeks. Okay, and so a little early. A little, little early, about eight weeks early. And um, since he was born, my placenta had completely detached from my uterus. Um, therefore, as many people know, if you know anything about your placenta, your placenta carries all the food and the nutrients and the oxygen to the baby. And when that's detached, the baby is cut off from their oxygen and food supply. Um, so my son sustained, um, he came out, he had to be resuscitated at birth 
and he sustained some brain injury or brain loss as a part of that. Okay. And okay. Um, um, that's why I say he's a miracle because a lot of babies don't normally aren't able to get resuscitated or revived after mm-hmm. a placenta abruption. Normally they pass away shortly afterwards or live with other complex complications or medical conditions, um, which my son does have. My son has cerebral palsy um, mm-hmm. as a result of um, how he was born. And he's a miracle every day that he's living, breathing, you know, able to just um, be here and exist and just go through life as a typical toddler would. <laughs> wow, that is yeah. a miracle. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, um, let me let me ask. I have a couple questions. Did you did you name your daughter? I did name my daughter. Her name is Brielle. Brielle. So Brandon Jr. Name. and Brielle. Yes. And my, my baby's in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask with Brandon. Brandon Jr., when he was born and you were in this completely shocking, unexpected scenario, were were you guys able to hold him after that? Were you was there any sort of ritual that was part of what the nurses were able to do for you? Or was it just just you guys kind of being in a fog at that stage? No, luckily we were in a amazing hospital that really understood how um, a family needed to be treated during that particular moment. Mm. And the hospital moved us to a different floor off of labor delivery. They moved us Uh to a different floor of the hospital they put um, signage on our door to denote that we've lost the baby mm-hmm. um, so that nurses would know, nurses, anybody who came in the room would know that that's what that, that sign means. They typically do like a purple flower on the room. Okay. And that let people know that, you know, when they come in to, you know, typically either either engage in conversation or don't engage in conversation. Yeah. And um the nurses um, did not, I did not know I needed this until they did it. You know, they measured my son as mm. they typically would do any mm. other newborn baby. Um, they took pictures of them doing all the measurements mm-hmm. of his body. They weighed him. Um, they took, they made, you know, of course, handprints, footprints. Mm-hmm. They made molds of his hands and his feet that I still have to this day. That is so precious and yeah. I cherish them forever. And um, then they took pictures with him. They had, um, now I lay me down to sleep, come in, and they scheduled professional photographers to do photo shoots of babies. And um, my husband... My husband, of course, I spent nine months with him. So my husband never didn't have that time with him. So my husband, um, I gave my husband that time. So there, uh, my husband took, you know, did a whole photo shoot with him. You know, we even dressed them both up in the same outfits. And they took a whole, they did a whole entire photo shoot together. I'm so glad you were able to do that. Yes. And, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of hospitals don't do that for, it's Mm -hmm. not done at every hospital. I Mm -hmm. mean, just recently, um, I'm a bereavement doula. So I help support women who are going through, you know, having a birth, either vaginally or Mm -hmm. C-section, a child that they may lose and more recently 
I, just like, um, uh, was it Monday of this week? I was in a hospital with a couple and just the nurses just did not have good bedside manners. The doctors weren't explaining things. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, they don't know. A lot of people just don't know how to handle women in those situations. And well, I was gracious enough to know the other side of it, you know, being handled in a different way and being, you know, making sure the baby's treated in a different way. And we were able to hold him and spend time with him before we actually, you know, they sent him to a funeral home and we did end up having a funeral and burying him mm -hmm. um, at a children's graveyard. But mm -hmm. yeah, but it's, it's, we, it's just a lot of education. It's the reason it kind of added fuel to my fire on why, why this platform and why Sisters in Lost needs to exist so that we could educate women and tell women exactly how they should navigate this, but also go back into the hospital setting where we do more education around how do you handle families as they grieve um, um, the losses of babies. Well, and when you mentioned that you became a bereavement doula, I see how that is so incredibly valuable and I wish someone had said to me, yes, you should definitely take professional photos. I think I knew about Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep, that organization, but I don't know, I don't know why. I don't remember why I didn't have those photos taken, and that's a big regret of mine. And I wish someone had really you know, pushed, pushed us to do that. Um, and my question with being a bereavement doula, at what stage are you called in by the mother or are you called in by the hospital both okay both so i have a relationship with the local hospitals here that know that i'm available and on call on certain days of the week if they do have a family or you know mother father a family that needs that special attention mm -hmm. um that they would call me in and then a lot of it's by word of mouth and referrals from other doulas who are just regular birth doulas mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. know that I specialize in bereavement. So if they know that their client is, um, you know, having pelvic pain and are dilated and, you know, of course the baby may not make it. Okay. Um, in this case, the baby was under 24 weeks. So we knew that that viability was not an option okay. that they would call me in to help support them as they support the family. So I come in and I will, um, help the help the mom birth, you know, give them, I'm, I'm essentially a birth doula, but I'm giving them more options than the birth doula would normally give them as far as pain management and emotional support as well, they go through that process. And I would imagine the emotional support is just a different kind of support than someone could give mom who, you know, if the doula hasn't been through this herself, it's just different. You know, you, Absolutely. you would Absolutely. say different things and you would have a different sense of when to talk and when to just be. Absolutely. And, and that's, and that was my birth doula friend who, who asked me to come. She was just like, well, um, are you going to talk to her? I was like, no, tell her I'm just there. Like, I'm just, <laughs> there. I'm just, I'm just going to sit with her. Like right. I'm not there to, at, you know, ask any questions or for her to explain anything. Like she's going through a birthing process. Like I'm yeah. just there. She needs me. I'm just going to be there. You know. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I mean, I I would so recommend it to anybody who was going through that. And I think it will be better the more the more people know about these services, the easier it will be to help women in those situations. I think Absolutely. right now, so many people don't even realize that that's available. 
Right. Or they would, they would, you know, know to call. And so, you know, a podcast like yours, that gets the word out. You know what I mean? That tells people so that they can help a friend or a sister or whoever Mm -hmm. and, and put you in touch with her. Absolutely. And, um, on the other side, you know, um, just just doulas in general it's just having another voice in the room to Mm. be able to support you and speak up and and you know especially when you're in a moment where you are as the mom you know are making all of these or have to make all these decisions about your body giving you the actual functions of exactly what could happen if you do x y and z so that you can make a sound decision for yourself. So you don't feel like, you know, um, doctors are coming to check you every, you know, hour, you know, you don't necessarily have to be checked in certain situations, especially when it comes to birthing a baby that is not going to make it or birthing a baby that's a stillbirth, Mm -hmm. you know, some things that, that a lot of doctors want to do and, speed along the process and yeah. versus slowing it down and giving you time to actually think about making this decision. Right. And I, um, I, I love being an advocate or empowering women to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes, like I said, being an advocate for women, because a, a lot of people just don't know what to do or don't know what to say and mm-hmm. just giving them the power to do so. And with the services you offer, is that local to where you live? Yeah, so my bereavement doula services are local to where I live, but I also do virtual um, sessions with individuals who just need that extra support, um, Mm -hmm. especially when they're going through a pregnancy after loss. So I also support women in that space as well, um, because I think that's so critical. (laughs) You're coaching them. Exactly. Bereavement. Absolutely. But, um, you know, bereavement is just one of those places that I just been focusing on recently because I I just want to make sure that women have the voices to voice what can happen, what should happen and what should not happen to their bodies as they're Mm. going through Mm -hmm. such a painful moment in their lives. Well, I wonder with all the conversations that you've had, how many episodes have you recorded? I have, I am up to 106, 106. Excellent. Just crazy. So, <laughs> so well, crazy to think about. <laughs> yeah. And I've listened to several and I, I just, I love, you're such a good listener. I feel that you're so good at um, whatever the person's story is, you're supportive. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and Thank even, and, and I heard um, an episode where the woman had, you know, maybe not the ideal situation in um, delivering her miscarriage. And even then you didn't, you just listened. You know what I mean? You, you mm-hmm. didn't comment on it and mm-hmm. you were just there for her and listened to her story. So I just, I think you really have a, a gift for that. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that a lot of women, what I realized by interviewing them, they've never told their story in yeah. its entirety. Uh-huh. So it's more or less giving them the opportunity to just share, just to get it out. Yes. And sometimes just getting it out is cathartic and healing in of itself. Uh, so for sure. I just sit back and just like, you know, just let them pour because mm-hmm. I know how it is for me when I have the opportunity to share it because I, you know, we just don't share those things. Right. 
Right. Well, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. That's that <laughs> my heart. <laughs> well, so my question, because you are focused on this specific demographic, do you do you feel that after all the conversations you have, that um, there are there are experiences that are unique to Black women? Yes, I do. I believe that um, systemically, racism still exists in a lot of our. Um, really in healthcare, but in our, a lot of our practices. Um, and I believe that um, a lot of treatment for certain cases would be different mm. um, if it was not a woman of color or a black woman. Mm -hmm. um, that, that a lot of the reaction from doctors as far as pain management is concerned, as far as how the, the sequence of events go when it comes to escalating it from, you know, your typical OBGYN to making it a high risk pregnancy mm -hmm. to sending you to a maternal fetal medicine specialist or a fertility specialist um, or endocrinologist. Like I feel like that entire holistic level of care around your entire body, not just your reproductive self um, is different and it comes through in a lot of our stories. A lot of a lot of them may not say it directly, but a lot of the a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the um, concerns that a lot of women have nowadays is that they feel that they're going to lose their babies or lose their lives, oh. and it, it's it's because of the that deep rooted you know. Um, it really goes back to slavery times and I don't really want to go there, but it, it's in our system and, it, and it's how women are treated as they go into the healthcare and go in to get checked out. And, mm -hmm. you know, the level of care is different and it shouldn't be. And, and it's the reason why I'm specifically focusing on us because I believe that, you know, sharing these stories um, helps us, but it also helps um, people who are in healthcare, whether you are a nurse or a midwife or a doula, or you are OBGYN or any specialist mm -hmm. that you could listen to the podcast and hear these anecdotal stories. Like these yep. stories matter in the sense to give you a, a full framework of exactly how women are being treated as they go get care. Mm -hmm. Um, especially throughout, you know, even trying to get pregnant is a, is a structure in all of itself. Mm -hmm. So once you get pregnant, okay, are we, are we doing those extra tests? Do you, if you know this woman has fibroids as an OBGYN or a provider, how, and you know, they have fibroid pain or if they have endometriosis and they get pregnant and they end up having a miscarriage, why aren't you, why are you giving them pills to, you know, as an option to, you know, get rid of the uterine tissue, the, the baby, the fetus mm. that's coming out. They have endometriosis. We should be scheduling a DNC, you know? Right. So it's, it's I, I, I believe that um, the reason why it needs to be a specific focus on women of color and black women is because the anecdotes and these stories and the details matter to the entire realm of what's happening in maternal health and really specifically black maternal health and how we can really shift that paradigm of not having, you know, dying and losing babies to actually 
being it, it being more preventative care and not reactive care. You know? mm-hmm. Oh um, yes, I like how you <laughs> I like how you just put that. That's exactly right. Um, well, thank you for illuminating me on that. I know that the um, the ratio of losses for Black women and women of color is higher than for Caucasian women. And I, I know there are a lot of, you know, medical professionals looking into the causes for that mm-hmm. and that racism is identified as one of the causes. Right. Um, Absolutely. And do you, well, I, I'm going to look back through your guests, but have you interviewed any, um, you know, medical professionals who are um, maybe looking into that or as part of that movement to, to change that? Yes. Well, I've interviewed a few activists who okay. are part of that movement and who are really geared up to change that. Um, I've interviewed um, women who are um, Black women birthing justice organization. Oh. Who are really geared up. Um, they're out of um, California. Okay. Um, and they are really geared towards finding the whole birthing justice movement, you know, where, you know, the woman is seen, the woman and baby are seen as whole and we are taking care of them before, before pregnancy until postpartum period. Um, so I interviewed, um, uh, the women of that movement. Um, I've interviewed, um, the president of March of Dimes and, and talk about their new movement to really reduce the rates of maternal mortality within, um, the African-American community as as well as women of color. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've interviewed some other OBGYNs who are really in that fight around reproductive justice and what what we could do to help um, talk about racial bias and mm-hmm. ensuring that, you know, the the care that women are getting is the care that they need and really telling people that they have they they are empowered to make those choices. Right. And, uh, and it's not just a social economic issue or women who are on Medicaid. It's across the gamut, you know, mm-hmm. you know from your poor to your rich, you know, and we saw that with the news articles um, when Serena Williams had her baby girl and how she had to advocate for herself. So we know it's just not, it's just not a, you know, and she's like the, the, the best athlete in the world. Yeah. If Serena Serena Williams is having problems, it's a big problem. It's a big problem. She's the the best athlete in the world and we're, you know, she's having issues. So that's how you know, it's not just a, class issue or a social economic issue it's it's an issue across the board when it comes to um how women black women and women of color are treated as they walk through that doctor's office mm-hmm. wow okay i'm gonna be definitely coming through your past episodes and finding yes yes yeah um, we talk a lot about birthing justice and really what that is and really what reproductive justice is and we break down exactly what reproductive rights are i mean we go through that entire gamut of understanding exactly how women and babies are treated um, while they're in utero and then postpartum period. Because I think postpartum isn't talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. I think if we think about postpartum, we think about maternal mental health and postpartum depression, 
but we really got to think about postpartum as a whole. Like what has really happened to the entire body of the mm. woman and really how does that affect the baby? And right. um, we talk a lot about that as well on the podcast. I like to sprinkle that in because, mm-hmm. uh, and, to, and you know, just to change the topic and make it a little bit different topic where we're not always talking about loss and grief mm-hmm. and healing yeah. um, to, to give, give my listeners uh, another understanding of why this matters you know why your story matters why we can't be silent anymore and why we have to continue to share our stories and share our messages to empower other others so that we can shift and move this paradigm that's happening in our country right now and that the you know the story of the pregnancy doesn't end at delivery. That there's, absolutely, there's yes. way more to it. You know, oh, that absolutely. It is. absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask. Um, I I saw that you are married to a pastor. Is that right? Yes, I am. <laughs> and so I wanted to ask how um, your experiences and even talking to women through this podcast has informed your faith. Oh goodness! It's it <laughs> it probably is, a whole other episode we could talk it about is, that. <laughs> it's such a whole other episode. Um, it has it has been so enlightening to see how God speaks through other people to me, and mm-hmm. I don't know if of a lot of women understand that their story heals me. So while mm-hmm. I am sharing the stories and lives in journeys to motherhood of other women, I'm really healing myself. You know, I started the podcast um, just because I was on my own infertility journey. You know, I didn't mention this, but when I lost my, when my son was born and I had a placenta abruption, I lost my uterus. So I was 28 years old. I was, I was still young. Yeah. (laughs) So I was on my own journey of like, why God, why did you take, you know, I struggle to have babies and the the baby that I have, you know, I'm grateful for him, but he has a disability. And now I have to navigate this whole new world that I don't know about. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, I can't have more children. Mm -hmm. So I really had to, it really, I, I was on my own faith journey. I was on my own healing journey. And being able to really kind of selfishly seek out other women who have either lost their uterus or have battled infertility for 10 plus years or really understood how the surrogacy market that that world went and mm-hmm. how did how did people go through adoption after infertility mm-hmm. you know really how what does that world look like and are there you know women of color and black women actually going through that are right. they really allowing finances to stop them from growing their families because Mm. a lot of people say oh yeah that's so expensive but yeah but there are you know are you really stepping out on faith and allowing God to do the work and listening to people share those stories really uh, really strengthened my faith because if God can do it for them he can do it for me Mm. so uh, what I coach a lot of my friends and clients on is just take the money off the table if yeah. God has, you know, if God has granted, is going to grant you the desires of your heart, you have to do the work. And sometimes doing the work means just making that first step out on faith and then just trusting God is going to do the rest. 
as far as blessing you with grants and finances to, you know, fund your adoption or fund your IVF treatment or fund, you know, whatever the next step is on your journey. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where I am now. (laughs) God, you know, like, you know, I, you know, I have, I'm, I'm faithful. I've been faithful with this podcast. You have strengthened me. You have healed me to the point now where, you know, I'm stepping out on faith and I'm allow God to bless the rest because okay. if I don't do the, you know, if the Bible says faithful without works is dead. So if we don't actually do the work, how can God <laughs> bless it? Uh-huh. How can, uh-huh. how can we be faithful? You know, it also says that when we're faithful over a few things, God will bless us over with many more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we have to be faithful over the few things that we have in order for God to bless. And I don't want to be selective and how I surrender my all to him and I was very selective before like oh well you know I'm gonna go this one route I think I'm gonna you know because we I was considering going down this surrogacy route but Mm -hmm. God was like no girl I've been told you you should have adopted you know Uh uh-huh I don't know why you've been trying to do this and now oh, you have man. Roadblock. Well, and, and you, you said selective with that. <laughs> you, you said the magic word, Erica, which is surrender, right? Oh, girl, you can't. <laughs> and I think that that's what, it, I mean, to sum this all up, <laughs> that is really what this has taught me yeah. is that I have to surrender. And do you know how hard that is for us? Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) When we have our own plans and our own vision for how we want things to be. Yes, I do. It's so hard for (laughs) us to surrender and just say, God, have your way. However Mm -hmm. you bless me, I'm going to be satisfied. And that is even hard to say because you have this idea of what motherhood should be like for you or how easy it should be to get pregnant and bring a baby home. But God says, no, honey, I have a whole nother plan for your life. Now you have to let me be in control. And, um, and I had to get to that place to say, Oh God, I'm, I'm open up. My my arms are open wide. I'm at the altar. I'm, you know, like I'm surrendering, like it's all on you because I don't know how this is going to happen, but all I got to do is continue to trust you and have faith in you that you're going to make it happen. So that rounds it all. That's kind of where I am. That is I don't even know if I want to talk after that. <laughs> that was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Uh, but I, mean, I mean, you know, being married to a pastor, we talk about faith a lot. We talk a lot sure. about church. So we yeah. talk about just the, the structure of church, you know, you know, worship experience. But we really dig deep and we talk about just how people come to Christ in this Mm -hmm. new age, I guess, in this social Mm -hmm. media world. And uh, we really talk about faith because I think at the core of it, you know, if people really aren't um, digging deep and really understanding where their faith lies in, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's harder to draw people to church, especially in the traditional sense. Right. (laughs) Well, and I think that that's, that is so true is that, you know, people can kind of smell BS. And if they don't, if they don't see that their pastor is walking the walk and talking the talk and doing the, the deep soul searching that they're doing, well, that doesn't feel very authentic. You know what I mean? That, and I think that that is not, um, that's not a good recipe for, for having a really thriving, uh, faith community. All right. Well, I'm going to, um, 
sum this up with my last question for you, which okay. is, and I know there, there are many, many ways to answer it, but can you tell me about something that makes you think of the word miracle? Well, this one is easy for me. And when I think of miracle, I think of my son. Um, <laughs> yeah, I do because, you know, or I think of just that date, like August 19, 2014 is a miracle date for me because I could have lost my life due to the amount of blood that I lost having him. And I could have not walked out of the hospital with him a month later when he finally came home from the NICU. So I, I really think of just God, God gives us second chances, some, some that we don't deserve. And God gave me a second chance at life and a second chance at being a mother. And I, it's, it's a miracle to be able to do the work that I do now because it is such a purpose-driven work and it stems from that date, August 19, 20, you know, the two losses I did have beforehand, but to be able to give a second chance at life and to have my miracle child with me today is the greatest blessing. Oh, that is wonderful. And so I hope, um, do you post pictures of Max? I do. I do okay. post pictures of him. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go look for him. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, okay. My, this is like a bonus question. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not a black woman or a woman of color, but can I be an honorary sister? Yes, absolutely. Come join us. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. A lot of women who join our private community are like, well, you know, I'm not black, but I'm like, girl, come join us. We, we talk about the same stuff. I just yeah. think, you know, like I said, you know, we, a lot of women in my, in my community are just scared. So mm -hmm. it, it helps, oh. it helps give clarification just to what's going on. And yeah. we love being able to bring other, other um, people into the community because then you get a better understanding of what's, what's going on. And then you can also advocate for us as well. So I, yes. Join us. Thank you. <laughs> Erica, it was so, so wonderful having you. And I, I feel that you just really opened up your heart to us though. And so I appreciate it. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening and telling everyone you know about the Onward Stories podcast. Have you subscribed so you can hear the secret Easter egg episodes in between seasons that you won't hear about otherwise? You might want to go do that now. Go ahead. Thank you to Jason Crow for editing and to my daughter for the theme music. You can find me on Patreon and support the show for just a dollar a month. Please visit this podcast featured nonprofit rtzhope.org. They are transforming the culture of silence and isolation around pregnancy and infant loss. At rtzhope.org, you'll find healing retreats, outreach and education, peer support and community, and empowerment. Lastly, I'd love to help you write your story in my upcoming writing workshop for parents who have lost a baby. You can start your story at onwardstories.com. <laughs>